Singapore would still be prosperous even without that level of control. Mm -hmm. It is not the authoritarianism that brought about the wealth, mm -hmm. but its position. Hi, this is the Ignoramus's Guide to Surviving Humanity. I'm Ilyana Chan with my co-host Wei Chan. And a very special guest, Mr. Tan Wafiao. Hello. Hey. Hello. And Mr. Wafiao is a human rights lawyer, a Singaporean exile, and in the famous words of Lee Kuan Yew, a simpleton. <laughs> I, I agree. I yeah, yes. So, and why why do we have um, Mr. Wafiao on um, today? Is because we've noticed that there's just there's such a misconception, I think, about Southeast Asian um, activists and Asian um, activists in general. It, there's the mm. misconception being that there are none. <laughs> that mm -hmm. Asians are innately quiet and passive and and don't have any political ideas. Yeah, um, I'm sorry, that is so annoying. Yeah, and me and Wei realize like that's not at all our upbringing. Mm -hmm. And actually, sometimes when we're told, maybe I, I don't know if you've been told this, but that I'm opinionated because of my Western upbringing, because of my Western mm -hmm. values and my mm -hmm. Western education. And it's like, well, actually, the people that I grew up with that are the most opinionated and politically mm -hmm. aware and passionate about justice are actually Southeast Asians that, and you your know, parents, right? my parents, <laughs> <laughs> and my parents and, and the people around me. But I'm quite passionate about that because it really, really annoys me um, that um, that people say that Asian people don't have opinions when um, uh, and then when we speak them out. All people do is get extremely offended. Yeah, no, no, just... the, but but the problem it's uh, Asians they grumble a lot, mm -hmm. but in the silence of their home, within the four right. walls, right. And, and that that is the problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Although the generation is different, like like both of you, yeah, ignoramus. Yes, we're the ignoramuses. Yes. And make it but... louder. <laughs> <laughs> So, so my greater impression is that the forces of imperialism, US imperialism and their co-conspirators, i.e. Um, the, the UK, UK and uh, Lee Kong Yu, have silenced you, have done everything that they could to silence you and your uh, your friends or your colleagues um, and any kind of uh, left-wing narratives uh, coming out of Singapore. And, and so it is extremely ironic to then, for, for, for people to then turn around and say Asian people are silent because in fact, in the words of Oprah, were they, are they silent or were they silenced? Yeah. 
Oprah. And full disclosure, me and Wei have known Mr. Wapia for our whole lives. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, I think we agreed to just call him Wapia. Wapia. Sorry, trying to, to be professional Wapia. here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't say Uncle yeah. Wapia. Okay, yeah, so um, Wapia. yes, we have <laughs> known Wapia for our whole lives. So we have that context. But um, we do want to say that, yes, this idea of being silenced, the political cost, I mean, the cost that you yourself experience from being politically um, outspoken um, has led you to London. Um, could you like give us a little bit of back your background in terms of the Singaporean exile um, thing that we sort of briefly touched upon? Oh, yes, okay. All uh, right, now I came into exile uh, to the United Kingdom in 1976. So now it's well over four decades. And the reason I had to go into exile was before that I was the president of the University of Singapore Students' Union. Mm -hmm. And if you are president of the student union and if you organize uh, New Year balls and uh, some charity and so on, that's absolutely fine because then your career path is set uh, to be part of the uh, establishment or to join the very comfortable upper middle class. But then if you choose, as I did at the time of my youth, uh, to go into uh, the advocacy for democracy, to advocate not just democracy as a concern, but to get workers around uh, at the time when there was recession in Singapore, when you start organizing the workers. You start telling workers that, oh, well, uh, you don't have spaces to speak. Come to our union house and we provide you with the uh, facilities. Then that uh, was not a career path that most Singaporeans uh, would have chosen, especially uh, when you are in a prestigious university. And that was what eventually uh, led me to, to, to London. And it's true when you started the point about uh, most Asians uh, are perceived to be, uh, to have no opinion and silent. And that, uh, that was true at the time, although they have private opinions, but uh, to have an opinion uh, in public uh, would be dangerous. And right. hence, at the time, there's no, not a single opposition in parliament. That is an indication of uh, the mood at the time. And they want you that way, don't they? That's what they want. They want a, a compliant, productive, submissive economic and military partner in Southeast Asia. And when I say they, I mean, I mean the, the UK and the US. That's what they wanted. And they were very complicit in uh, in the Singapore in helping the Singaporean government silence people like you. Oh yes, it's not just silencing people like me because at that time uh, there were we we helped to organize a group of uh, uh, workers even mm -hmm. to demonstrate outside the U.S. Uh, embassy. That was an American company called Gulf Plastic. So that kind of making that kind of noise against U.S. investment, the 
the low wages and so on, the abuse of the employment law mm-hmm. for US monopoly interest, that is not welcome. Or that was not welcome. And now, even now. Right. So that, that's the kind of Asia they want. They want the cheap labor. They want no working conditions. Um, so their corporations can go in and set up companies and, 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 and use that cheap labor and, and, and extract all of that wealth and, and, and abuse at the, expense of, um, at the expense of Southeast Asians and, and bring that profit back to, back to the West. Ah, but but there, there, there is a caveat there. Mm-hmm. As long as you are making loud noise against the government, they like to demonize, which is at the present moment, uh, China, then mm-hmm. they would put on the headline when a mm-hmm. Hong Kong uh, Democrat uh, mm-hmm. comes to London. Mm-hmm. So for example, when recently uh, I raised the issue mm-hmm. of the absolute silence within mm-hmm. the political spectrum in mm-hmm. Britain uh, mm-hmm. about the China bashing, mm-hmm. And when I publish an open letter, the only newspaper in Britain that bothers to publish it in full was the Morning Star. And yet they were publicized, a Uyghur who wants to speak bad about China, a Hong Kong dissident who is right. not happy with Beijing. And that right. is... They, yeah. they, they will always lionize somebody. Yeah, they will always lionize an activist who is speaking against a government that is not submissive to them. As long as they uphold the, their own imperial, imperial mm-hmm. agenda, then mm-hmm. those people will be highlighted because it's part of the propaganda machine. So Does this is like sense? Venezuela, as far as I know, this is, and, and China, um, just to name two. Um, but this is a pattern going all over the global south where either you are a, a really submissive partner to, that, to the US or you are an enemy and they will, uh, they will just overthrow you. And, yeah. and, push, and Biden has just, have just in, the, in the budget put mm-hmm. in 300 million mm-hmm. to promote the type of voices they like to hear. Exactly. 300 exactly. million. And certainly, I won't be getting, or you won't <laughs> be getting that part of the budget. Oh no, we <laughs> did right this all way. wrong. We did this all wrong way. Um, can, I, just... um, can I can I just bring you back because we're we're talking about the present, and I I'm, I really love how this links in because this has been um, U.S. policy and CIA policy and NED policy, the National Endowment for Democracy uh, policy for the last. 50 years or more, right, since the 70s. And, and the 70s is kind Before of where, where you were campaigning, is that right? Yes. And, and what kind of workers' rights were you, you, you talking about there? Was it, it was, you did mention it, so, and, and I realize that this is 50 years ago, so, um, so, right. so this is- Well, the, the kind of rights yeah. issue mm-hmm. was uh, we had at the, at the time when I was uh, then 22, Probably I was the very few within the campus mm-hmm. who was aware that such a thing as uh, political detainees, right. uh, people who then uh, were in jail since 1963 mm-hmm. until my time in 1974, and that detention continued. One of 
the poor guy Chiapai Po was detained for 33 years mm -hmm. without trial and okay. he was a university uh, lecturer. So that is the kind of uh, 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 human rights issue. Mm -hmm. uh, the trade unions, workers were not able to to organize trade unions are organized by the ruling party. That are the kind of uh, issues that uh, concern uh, concern me. Where did so, you get these ideas from initially? Ah, where did I get? <laughs> well, um, probably in the place where I uh, live in Singapore, in Juchit, you have uh, it's, a, it's a kind of lumpen proletariat. Uh, area where people are not part of the establishment, maybe hawkers, small traders, and so on. They, they have a healthy skepticism uh, about uh, the government. It's not the, the more middle class area uh, in Singapore. So I brought up in that kind of context and also uh, members of my families, my brothers and so on, are in their own ways uh, cynical about uh, the government. In fact, the government even named one or two of my brothers as uh, uh, left-wingers, pro-communists, and so on. Oh. But that, that was the mood of the times mm -hmm. in the 50s, in the 60s, where the Chinese educated were the most oppressed. They were the, at the forefront of the anti-colonial uh, movement. Yeah. And they were they were part of the anti-Japanese uh, uh, movement uh, as well. So that was a social history. And that was why when Lee Kuan Yew came to power, the target was to marginalize the Chinese educated, which mm -hmm. were the majority. You promote English education and you give the best jobs only to those who are English educated. So you have that a uh, 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 social divide according to uh, language. And when you talk about uh, killing a culture, it was basically that political process of killing the political social culture of the Chinese speaking population, which mm -hmm. happens to be the majority. Mm -hmm. But that is possible by pushing an education system where you take out Chinese education and the Chinese education being relevant because if you go back to history, a lot of progressive ideas uh, came to Southeast Asia through Chinese intellectuals uh, uh, who were escaping China during the war. But that's too much into history now. No, no, I don't think it's too much into history. I think we need some context because the war, yeah. the, 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 the world as we know it has been the post-war post-World War II world, as we know, has been completely shaped by, um, by the West's obsession with communism and also, uh, and also the fact that they wanted to continue to exploit the global South, um, and they have done to this day. And, and, and that's why the global South is poor and the West is rich. And a couple of uh, pick-me Asians, a couple of uh, little allies like Singapore get to be, get to be rich. Um, yeah, one of so, the things that you, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I just wanted to just um, just clarify a little bit on the, on, the, on the workers' rights issue. So in fact, it wasn't even that you 
were advocating for workers' rights. It was that the people who would advocate for workers' rights were being put in prison. Yes, precisely right. And you were campaigning for them. And we were, I was really not so much campaigning for them, mm -hmm. but then as the president of the student union and as a student union, we facilitated that. We mm -hmm. provided the workers with information. Mm -hmm. For example, the trade union were instigating the employers mm -hmm. to pay the trade union with coupons to buy groceries from supermarkets owned by the trade union. And we knew that this was illegal. So we use our position uh, as people who are able to, to do the investigation, find out their rights, mm -hmm. tell that to the workers. And that instigated them. It's the facts that instigated the workers to organize for their rights. And that was what uh, we were doing. And that was a mortal scene politically. And, and just to, sorry, just to, um, I don't want to give the whole plot away or give your whole story away, but as a result, you, you were put in jail for, for one year. Yes. By the Singaporean big, government. It was a for, frame, for, up, frame up. For your opinions, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So was they that the reason to... that they gave to arrest you? Oh, uh, they, they concocted mm -hmm. a frame up mm -hmm. that I rioted within the trade union office together mm -hmm. with two workers. Mm -hmm. And that was a particular date in 1974. So we went for trial and I defended myself. Two other workers had their own lawyers and the trial went on for uh, 43 or 40, 47 days, the longest trial at that time uh, in Singapore. And we had even a journalist from the Straits Times who said that at the time of the so-called riot, the newspaper man was outside the trade union and he saw me across the road. Mm -hmm. He said that Tanwapia could not be <laughs> causing a riot. Mm -hmm. And we have photographs to show uh, all the things uh, which happened mm -hmm. uh, to support our case. And there were... Uh, uh, probably at least 50, 60 to 100 uh, people, workers and so on. And the reason why they need to create a frame up was to shut me uh, up mm -hmm. to eventually, then they deported seven of the leaders from the student union. Mm -hmm. Eventually, they basically shut down the entire uh, student union as it then was, as the kind of democratic uh, forum. And that was 1970, by 1975-76, the student union was gone. So that, that is how uh, a regime, uh, a government cope with maintaining its dominance. And that mm -hmm. is why uh, on the face of it, you hardly hear dissident voices in Singapore mm -hmm. because the price uh, uh, we had to pay was extremely high. But I mean, for me, 
uh, that's part of uh, so-called part of the deal. Uh, if you want uh, to be rebellious, you have to be prepared for the price to pay. And luckily, uh, I managed to uh, uh, eventually establish myself career-wise and so on. Had I uh, remained in Singapore, uh, I would be detained without trial for God knows when. Intellectually, uh, that will prevent you from uh, developing as well. Then you will be stuck at the very, very basic understanding of society without uh, the opportunity to expand your worldview and understanding even of what you have believed. So that, that is the importance of uh, an open society, which I still uh, believe it's uh, something Singaporeans should campaign for. So there you go, uh, the quiet Asians, right? So <laughs> next time you think about calling uh, Asian people quiet because of their Confucian values and, and, uh, and, and all of that kind of stuff um, and, and a focus on harmony. Uh, spare a thought for all the uh, Asian activists who spoke out and were put in prison um, by a government backed by the US and backed by the United Kingdom. Yeah, and I really want to sort of put to bed this myth and it's so prevalent. It's still sort mm. of, it's still now very much um, repeated this idea that the idea of um, freedom of speech or um, well freedom in general democracy in general workers rights um, any of those things are western um, ideologies that have no place in in asia like that i think is used time and time again to prop up um, authoritarian um, regimes in Asia dictators, yes. dictators. because oh these poor Asians can't possibly manage democracy these western ideas I think that happens a lot mm -hmm. um, but the complicity uh, of the west mm -hmm. is that they are now using democracy using human rights as the weapon mm -hmm. to demonize those that they disagree, mm -hmm. this is their new mission. Like mm -hmm. during the during the opium war, during the uh, uh, 18th century and so on, they were using the Bible to justify why they are taking over people's land. Yeah, and now yeah, they are yeah. using democracy to oh say, ah, this is a country yes. which is too nationalistic. You are mm -hmm. going to beat me on technology. Let yeah. me attack you using uh, uh, human rights. And if we go back to one, I'm not talking about China, to mm -hmm. a country that they like to demonize, and that is Iran. And if you mm -hmm. go back to the Iranian history, even before the time of the Ayatollah, before the time uh, of the, the Shah, the Iranians, Democrats were very, very strong. And in fact, they were very, impressed by the rule of law in the United States that was in the 1930s and they were supported by the US until the nationalists discovered oil. And when yeah. oil was discovered, United States wanted, their oil company wanted to get into uh, Iran and that was where 
the nationalists say we want to nationalize our oil. And that was when the US abandoned the constitutionalists. And that was that ended up with you very pro your oil. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So when it comes to oil, as we see uh, even in the Middle East, if we look mm -hmm. at uh, 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 Saddam Hussein, if we look mm -hmm. at uh, yeah, Gaddafi, they are, of course, uh, uh, dictate, dictators and so on. But one element is that they are nationalists and they were secular. Right. There they are plenty were... of dictators who the US has not overthrown. And, and the reason for that is, for example, Lee Kuan Yew. And the reason for that um, is because they are collaborating with the US. They're complicit, they're compliant, and they're allowing US companies into, uh, in, into their place. And they're allowing uh, the US to use uh, Singapore as a military base, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, it was in the, during the period of Cold War, mm -hmm. uh, Lee Kuan Yew's position was very mm -hmm. clear. He was mm -hmm. on the side uh, of, of the US. In more recent times, mm -hmm. uh, people who are like uh, Saddam Hussein and Gaddafi, whom they could collaborate with in so far as they need to use them against their regional enemy, uh, uh, Iran or whatever. But the moment uh, they pushed their nationalist position, then they will remove them, even though they were the bastion against conservative, uh, 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 religious conservatism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So hence, that is a complexity. And this is where uh, lots of uh, Democrats in the West Let's this worldview that mm -hmm. when we talk about democracy, we also have to recognize the complexity of how, be careful of how the U.S. was using it uh, as they did in Vietnam and so on. How many Vietnamese did they kill? If we look at, uh, say, the Middle East war since 9-11. Mm -hmm. You have 800,000 lives killed. You have 21 million people displaced. Mm -hmm. And what you brought about are failed states and dot democracies. Who, who is made accountable for the 800,000 people died? Not a single no. person. Yet, if you, if, you, if you recall the last two days on BBC, we have a big investigation, rightly so, into the uh, terrorist bombing mm -hmm. in, uh, uh, um, it, was it Manchester? Uh, the death of uh, 21 or 28 people. That's right, correctly right, right. The investigation. But Ariana why Grande, there's no yeah. investigation over the, mm -hmm. the, the wars that killed 800,000 people? You touched on how Iran nationalized their oil and, and and that's the that's what you must never do is is nationalize your own oil and and Venezuela did the same thing didn't they <laughs> yeah. yeah um so 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 Venezuela uh nationalized their oil the US sanctioned them and basically uh I forgot the, specifically what the sanctions were but um but wiped out 95 99 percent of their GDP with sanctions? Oh, yes. 
and then all the so-called left-wing newspapers in the West could report about is how um, how Venezuela has been crippled by irresponsible economic policies by their socialist government. Um, conveniently forgetting uh, that the US just basically sanctioned them off the face of the planet. And, and, and when people talk about sanctions, they, we, we think it's sort of, you know, something a little bit sort of, you know, a little bit spiteful, yeah, just, just, just oh, we're, we're, we're just gonna sanction them. But, but some of these sanctions can wipe out, you know, wipe out a, a country's whole economy. And that, that is what's happened in Venezuela. Sanctions is a weapon of war. Mm -hmm. If we look, China was sanctioned for 22 years after its liberation in 1949. Cuba, how could Cuba be a threat to United States? Even now that it is no longer uh, a Soviet uh, outpost in an area close to the United States. And that sanctions still continue. And, and that is a weapon of war against uh, an ideology of nationalism that the United States are against. That so is still a problem now. So sanctioning, they wipe out your economy. They create social unrest. People are starving. Um, there's no water. Um, the, the services run down, and then uh, and then uh, and then people are unhappy with the government, and that's what they want. Mm -hmm. They want the people to overthrow the government. And as resistance increases from the people, they pick out individuals. When I say they, I mean the National Endowment for Democracy and the CIA. Pick out individual. Um, uh, opposition activists to support and, and, and they lionize them and, and, and they try and support them to overthrow the current government. Um, and fortunately that hasn't worked in Venezuela so far. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I really don't want to um, take a side or put any uh, country's government on a pedestal, but there is no, that a, a government not being good is, is absolutely not a reason for, for, for the US to intervene. Yes, because <clears throat> now they, they are using <clears throat> only one yardstick mm -hmm. at the moment to define what is democracy. And that one yardstick is uh, a government of the people, by the people, for the people. That mm -hmm. theoretically is Correct, you should have governments of this nature. Mm -hmm. But the benchmark of that yardstick is whether you have an electoral uh, process. It is true that having an electoral process in the character of Westminster uh, 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 electoral system may be better than none at all. But having that system itself does not necessarily mean that is real representation. You live uh, in England, you know to what extent are your views represented. In the United States, there is a big problem, uh, a dysfunctional uh, political system. And my point is, how can we allow 4.5% of the world's population 
represented by Biden and Boris Johnson to go around the world to be the judge of which government should be taken down and which is not. Even within their own country, whether it is truly a democratic uh, uh, government. It's the world policeman at the moment that is threatening the possibility of war. And two days ago, uh, there was a very good international forum uh, where the Secretary General of CND, Campaign of, for Nuclear Disarmament, raised this point that the greatest threat to war at the moment are the West, United mm -hmm. States, yeah. which have, and, and the West have 6,000 nuclear warheads against 350,000, uh, uh, 350 warheads in China. In China, for example. China yeah. has one military base in uh, in Djibouti, mm -hmm. whereas United States has, has 800, and we are facing the prospect of a real prospect of a new of an accident that mm -hmm. can escalate into a nuclear war. Mm -hmm. And CND position is that we don't have to agree with the nitty gritty aspects of issues in China. All we need to agree is all everything has to be done to avert a war, yeah. which U.S. and the West in the last two weeks uh, are, are pushing. Can I, um, can I go back also to your point about parliamentary democracy, or sorry, I said parliamentary because uh, this is the UK, but um, you know, U.S. Electoral, style democ yeah. electoral democracy, sorry. Um, and, and how the definition of democracy is narrow. But yet, ironically, many of the, uh, the governments that the US overthrows were democratically elected. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, oh, yes. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so Maduro, for example, was democratically elected. Um, the US wants to call that rigged, but I mean, uh, I don't even, you know, that, that's just a narrative that they're, that they're putting forward with zero proof. Yeah, it's again that thing that I was saying about how uh, democracy is something the mm -hmm. West has claimed for themselves and mm -hmm. they get to define it on their terms. Mm -hmm. Anytime a country does something they don't mm -hmm. want, they'll just say they're anti-democratic. Right. But the and, yardstick and also, yeah, keeps sorry, yeah. changing. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, even what is the yardstick that they, they're using right now? The US or the UK might not pass that yardstick either. The main, um, the main problem is people's, we talk about people, we talk about the general population memory are mm -hmm. short, determined by the last headline that they mm -hmm. read in the tabloid. Mm -hmm. Who will remember about Chile, the Allende government that was popularly elected mm -hmm. and then basically overthrown? Who remembers that? When we talk about using military and military coup, which are supported mm -hmm. by the United States, we see that is in that Chile, democracy, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, that, is a military in coup democracy? Yeah, and yes. and Singapore, Singapore. Okay, Singapore is a parliamentary democracy. Yet, Lee Kuan Yew ruled 
from what year until his death and then his son is in power 1959 so and the u.s is calling singapore a democracy because they have a parliamentary system but then they also call him worthless yeah but then they also (laughs) call him a benevolent dictator yeah then they put everybody in prison he opposes them sure yeah you have a parliamentary democracy but you um but you everyone who kind of opposes you, you you label them as a radical communist and you put them in prison so um how you know where is the us pushing democracy where is democracy a western value and 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 a lot of the time they kind of paint singapore as you know um undemocratic or or a dictatorship despite its partnership with the west but i think it's very very clear that it is a dictatorship because of the west well the 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 degree of tolerance Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. against either authoritarian government Mm -hmm. uh, or government which are even uh, fascistic Mm-hmm. depends on U.S. self-interest. Saudi, S- Singapore uh, is uh, uh, an example in, mm-hmm. uh, in Southeast Asia where they uh, would tolerate those, those uh, uh, repression which are typical of authoritarian state. But mm-hmm. if we look at Saudi, Saudi is the other extreme example which is the most conservative uh, uh, state whose values are completely different from the West. Mm-hmm. Yep. Remember yep. the last few days when they talk about our Western values and so on. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Saudi is their best of friends. Mm-hmm. Even if we look at Israel, mm-hmm. Israel has elections and so on, but inherently Israel treatment of the Palestinians are absolutely unacceptable, absolutely mm-hmm. contrary to Western values. But because they are (laughs) they are tolerated. Yeah, they can't vote. So where is the democracy? No, no. And and the Palestinians Mm. actually are the most oppressed people Mm -hmm. in the world in terms of their lived experience, uh, the Palestinians. And where, where, how are Western values reflected in their relationship with Israel even condoning everything that uh, Israel does. And, and that, that is the irony, which the Western population, aided and abetted by the media, close and eye. And, and that is the, the crazy world that we are in, when there is no consistency. I mean, it, it... It sounds crazy and it sounds like, you know, oh, people have short memories and, you know, we can say all these things, but it is, I think, a concentrated and orchestrated um, campaign, right? It is like, this is imperial propaganda. Mm-hmm. It's, it's on purpose that the vast majority of people in Western countries have no clue about um, other countries. Like, it's on purpose that their narratives that they're fed are so xenophobic. Like, that's, to to further the imperialist agenda, 
I mean, I would kind of think of the way most people think of Singapore is kind of like Singapore is the personification of the model minority mm-hmm. myth. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's yeah. like they don't need freedoms. They don't need like they just need to work really hard mm-hmm. and look how well they're doing because mm-hmm. they just shut up and work really hard. Mm-hmm. And, and and the West praises them for this. The Guardian exactly. praises them for this, you know, like so-called left wing paper, The Guardian praises Singapore um, in Lee Kuan Yew's obituary, which I have up on my screen, two, uh, two stories, um, uh, obituaries about Lee Kuan Yew, who fortunately died when? Five years uh, ago. A few years ago. A few years ago. And, <laughs> and this is what really made me uh, kind of start to think about this again. And, and, and I would tell people about your story uh, because, because um, you know, um, most of the business papers were were writing these obituaries about Lee Kong Yu. He's the founder of Singapore, the architect of Singapore's success. He was a bit of a dictator, but you know, um, it was worth it. You know, and 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 I and I my jaw was just dropping that people would uncritically um, consume these stories. That the Guardian would uncritically consume this narrative of because you being the architect of Singapore's success? I mean, not only, I mean, yeah, we should get into that a little bit mm-hmm. more because I was, I was quite ignorant about that myself, mm-hmm. about what, what, why was Singapore successful? That's something yeah. I definitely want to talk about. But yeah. I just, I do want to say that there is that racist overtones, the paternalistic racism mm-hmm. of saying, well, Singaporean people are not capable. You know, there's that- They don't want democracy, yeah. Yeah, there's that idea of Lee Kuan, you really helped them out because mm-hmm. this was the only way that that they could get out of wherever they were mm-hmm. by being this sort of dictatorship that just mm-hmm. gave people no choice. You know, it's that sort of racist narrative yeah you know but, like the the concepts of human rights in the west and and um and uh democracy you know the that that it's very difficult to translate for asian people you know they have confucian values and um it just doesn't you know it just doesn't really uh th- this concept of having a say in how you're ruled that that kind of thing doesn't translate well in asia and 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 <laughs> No, no, that, the, okay. Yeah. yeah. It is racist, I'll come yeah. uh, first uh, on the point of Singapore's success. I mean, Singapore, by uh, uh, any yardstick, materially mm-hmm. and so on, is successful. But many do not understand that this success is not, is not solely attributed uh, to Lee Kuan Yew's policies. Many forgot that Singapore has at all times in terms of Southeast Asia, even if we go back to the early 20th century, before its uh, 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 independence, was already uh, an outstanding city. An outstanding city because the wealth came from the circulation of goods and services uh, in the entire Southeast Asia. It was the trading that brought about the success. It was the trading uh, that brought about uh, uh, that relative 
uh, affluent compared to the rest, not just of Southeast Asia. Outside Tokyo, it was the most prosperous uh, uh, city even at the time. Now, a lot of British, even today, misunderstood and politicians misunderstood that Singapore model can be the model for Brexit Britain. But don't forget that Singapore is a city state with a population of just uh, 5.4 million people. It's a city state that can be easily controlled. But the wealth that the city state uh, has been able to accumulate is brought about apart from that trading. It is also a place where dictators and the corrupt in the region, then now from all over the world, would put in the money into the city-state. The amount of money that is earned uh, from this unique position for fencing, for fencing illegal ill-gain money is enormous. That is also another aspect which brought about the success because there is no transparency. You cannot turn London into a city for fencing corrupt money. But in Singapore... I mean, it kind can. of already is. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. It is, it is a tax haven. Not, yeah, not yeah. to the scale. Yeah, not to in, the scale. Right. And, yeah, and not, it has to be undercover. Right. I, yes. I mean, but there are a lot of... Um, there are a lot of city-state tax havens, Liechtenstein, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, Dubai, um, all of these places which are financial centers and trading hubs and city-states, um, and they're all rich. So is Lee Kuan Yew's model a, uh, you know, some kind of a bastion of, or, or, or a shining example of, of free market economics, not really. All cities, all, almost all of the city-states in the world are, are very rich, especially if they happen to be banking and financial centers. Yes, yeah, city-states, authoritarian mm -hmm. or not, mm -hmm. will mm -hmm. always have its wealth. I mean, mm -hmm. if we go back to, to Venice, mm -hmm. I mean, it was a, uh, a city-state where mm -hmm. it is a center for all the trade. And my point is that Singapore would still be prosperous even without that level of control. Mm -hmm. It is not the authoritarianism that brought about the wealth, mm -hmm. but its position. And no doubt the lack of transparency helps to some degree. But even if you are more transparent, you might do away with some of the illegal uh, money, but you will still be the center of uh, 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 trade and services. So, for even for so for activists in some third world countries, I mean, I've been to Burma, uh, even to Bangladesh, and uh, some of them was asking me, "Can Singapore be a model for our country?" No. I said, "No, you are not a city state. Burma is not a city state, and uh, neither is Bangladesh." And that is uh, uh, the point. People misunderstood that the success in Singapore is attributed to
to authoritarianism, which it is not. Do you think there is anything that Lee Kuan Yew did that was maybe unique to Singapore that was good, I guess? Oh, oh yeah, of, of course. I mean, uh, the housing, it's, uh, he, he correctly addressed uh, the housing needs, which uh, was what the Hong Kong, the SAR administration have not learned. Mm -hmm. And Lee realized that housing uh, is one of the social good that if you satisfy the population, then uh, half your political battle is won. But in addressing the issue of housing, he also used that as a mechanism for social control. So you have 87% of the population living in public housing. Whether these housing are rented or owned, and that gives them the absolute monopoly over uh, the control of the lives of people living uh, uh, in those uh, units. And also with the control of such a big stock of housing, it is, uh, it is a very useful social asset where they can play the carrot and stick because as the value of lease property decreases over time, at every election, you can fit in some carrots to say, oh, uh, we will modernize part of the buildings uh, 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 owned by the state. And that immediately will be uh, a vote gain winner. Or uh, as, the, uh, as the value of the property depreciates because the lease are coming to an end, and became a, a social issue, extended by one means or another. So, so it was a clever system. That is one thing that uh, uh, they got it right. The second thing which uh, is important to acknowledge uh, is the education system. Although uh, we were against it in the kind of elitist undertone and so on, uh, but the efforts to uh, uh, to bring about kind of universal uh, education that is controlled by uh, the state in terms of funding and so on. Yeah, they, they got that right. But again, uh, that is brought about because of uh, the way the state was able to manage its uh, resources. But having said that, uh, don't forget that uh, Singapore is ruled by a very small elite mm -hmm. that controls the power. Now, that, mm -hmm. that is a subject uh, for a, a different discussion. I had written uh, a few months ago an analysis of the situation, a kind of self-serving uh, 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 self autocracy, which makes it possible for them to control the entire population. And they are less than one, less than probably 0.1% of the population. We, we see that also in United States, uh, which is ruled by this 0.1% uh, 
1% that dictates all social policies. One thing that um, one thing that a lot of people forget to mention also is the huge boosts in GDP that Singapore received uh, by being a military base for the U.S. and 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 also for the U.K. So, as uh, Singapore decolonized, um, uh, the U.K. military spending continued on. And I read that at one point, U.K. military spending was about sort of two hundred million a year at one point, which is about a fifth of Singapore's GDP or was a fifth of Singapore's GDP at the time. So it is not always, you know, from innovation and uh, this narrative that Singapore is rich because of, of its capitalism and its innovation and its discipline and things like that. Uh, I think that needs to be challenged. Um, uh, no, that, that, yeah. that, that, just to correct you on mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. uh, do, yeah. that, part, that part of its mm -hmm. contribution mm -hmm. was very time specific at the earlier period mm -hmm. of uh, its independence to mm -hmm. tie over that uh, uh, period. But mm -hmm. eventually, uh, 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 the, the earnings from that mm -hmm. period uh, uh, from Western European, uh, uh, Western military spending uh, did decrease. But also uh, uh, on that point, actually, Singapore earned a great deal out of the Vietnam War, increasing right. the yeah. American. That, that was big bucks mm -hmm. uh, at the time, yes, mm -hmm. in the 1970s, when so it Singapore, was growing up. Yeah. Yes. So Singapore served as a base, a military base for a it, huge It, it serves well and yeah. it benefits. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but again, that is why I say it's not a model. There are lots mm -hmm. of historical incidents because of its... Uh, 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 is, is positioned as an appendage of mm -hmm. the West during the Cold War. Mm -hmm. And it benefited a lot and helps to build up mm -hmm. the infrastructure and the wealth that yeah. then feeds the uh, autocratic uh, elite. And in fact, Singapore, to some extent, is a huge military base, isn't it? And, and the, um, if you drive down the road in, in Singapore, it's very, very wide. And there are plant pots in the middle instead of the road being separated into, um, into, into properly into different roads. You have one huge road with plant pots in the middle or, or bollards in the middle, and those can be taken away at any time um, so that the roads can be served as military roads. Uh, they're, they're extra reinforced so that uh, you can drive tanks over them or whatever. I don't know what it is. Is this is this is this right, or am I just speculating here? Where where mm. that is, uh, uh, you have an unfair advantage over me because I've not been able to be back in Singapore. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> He's still not able to go back. <laughs> so if you set foot in Singapore, what would happen? Ah, well. Uh, they have already warned me not even to set foot mm -hmm. in the Singapore embassy, let alone in Singapore. <laughs> right. And uh, technically, yeah. I will uh, be arrested. Mm -hmm. and in fact, uh, that was made uh, uh, very clear to me a few years ago when my mother uh, passed away and the mm -hmm. high commissioner uh, from Singapore who was... Uh, 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 an old friend of mine uh, during university days and served as a council member of the student union, mm -hmm. telephoned to convey his personal uh, 
condolences for mm. my loss of my mother, but warned me that uh, I may have the right to fly into Singapore, uh, but uh, they cannot guarantee my safety. <laughs> so that's the situation. And, and you're, technically, you're technically uh, they would uh, arrest me. And in mm. fact, uh, I understand there is uh, the military uh, of defense have my file, the internal security department have my file, and there is a certain protocol Mm -hmm. uh, which they have established since 1976 of how to deal with me upon my return to Singapore. And I don't think that has changed. Very Why do you think, I mean, that's like 44 years later. Mm -hmm. And what sort of threat can you possibly be? That is where the Asian stereotype is true, is that Asians do tend to be very petty and hold a grudge for, for <laughs> yes. maybe 50 yes. years. So I think, yeah. It's the lesson that we will not forget and you will be punished. Mm -hmm. And that is to deter dissidents. It's yeah. not a political uh, need otherwise of what threat a person poses, mm -hmm. but the message that we will uh, uh, punish you. But and that so is the disincentive. You know, as a disincentive, I just wonder about its effectiveness when so few people know about um, stories like yourself. Like you're not, you know, like we've mentioned before, there are people that have been political prisoners for 33 mm -hmm. years, etc. There were, and when they were released, it's nobody, not nobody, but the, the vast majority of Singaporeans didn't know about them. True, you know? that's true, yeah. But the, the, the people that they want to deter, in every society, there's always a very small number who are more intellectually inclined to be critical. And that is this group of people that they want uh, to ensure that if you are critical, keep within a safe space. The worst thing to do is to start organizing. If you are radical and eccentric, you are, you are safe. And if you are critical, but accept that, okay, you'll be a non-constituency uh, non nominated MP, they love you because you are the acceptable voice of uh, the opposition. Mm -hmm. You do not have a constituency, but that creates the semblance of democracy. Oh, we still have someone who can speak out in parliament. And that is then used uh, to negate the need for an opposition party. You see? So they will make, I, and I have a friend who was at one time uh, a very vocal uh, radio commentator. And in fact, he was very much uh, supported, encouraged by the ruling party because that is within a safe space. They can turn on and turn off the agenda by creating that semblance of uh, democracy. And then there is the, uh, their defense. Say, How can you say Singapore is an autocratic state? when so-and-so could make his comments on television. Yeah, yeah. 
Do you uh, find that is why uh, some of the uh, critics, like those uh, uh, who publish the the online citizen, mm-hmm. uh, they are perpetually subjected to uh, threats of libel law or for uh, breaching broadcasting act or whatever legislation because they are organized with a platform. Oh, okay. So as long as they see that you don't have a growing, you know, movement behind you, you're safe. You can say that's right. So long as they can reach out. Yes. Do you find? Um, I know you haven't been back to Singapore. <laughs> but <laughs> do you hear anything about um, the new generation or the youth um, who are speaking up? Are there any activists or? Or they, have they just been so effectively silenced that there there isn't anyone? Oh no 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 no. Uh, uh, there, there is a uh, a core of uh, uh, activists, uh, uh, and they have emerged uh, at different stages of uh, the history, at different stages since nineteen seventy six when I left. Uh, after I left in 1976, in 1987, uh, they arrested the whole group of uh, 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 youth, uh, some of whom are my friends. And for that, there was that conspiracy to set up a Marxist state, which is all nonsense. So that mm-hmm. was the generation. And because of that repression in 1987, some of those who are in A-levels and so on watching the news disbelieve it. So that created another new group that emerged uh, about 20 years later. So you have this kind of a cycle. So uh, there are, but the difference is that uh, partly because of social media and so on, each one of them are able to articulate uh, their dissent within the kind of narrow framework, either through Facebook or through through the arts and so on. And what it lacks is an organized platform, Mm -hmm. as we see in the West. And that is the main difference. And unless people have the uh, platform to organize politically at the mass level, you are not going to affect change because it's the only way to effect change is through the ballot box. And how are you going to reach out uh, unless you are organized at that political level? And that is uh, uh, the problem in Singapore society at the moment politically. I mean, honestly, when you describe it that way, I, I, I think there is a similar problem here that we have of the progressive left. Like there is no, you know, the, our ability to organize has been somewhat hamstrung and our political parties have been co-opted by the establishment. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, even on in an established democracy like the UK, mm-hmm. we're kind of struggling. Oh, yes. I, I'm a member of the Labour Party, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm even an officer in my uh, local area, but I wouldn't even bother to raise the issues which are close at heart, the Palestinian issues, the issues of the way they are going around, 
uh, with China bashing. And, and, and because those views of mine doesn't fall within the framework of the present leadership. It's not on message. So yeah. a couple yeah. of times I did discuss with my uh, a couple of my colleagues within the local party branch, but mm -hmm. it's no point even to try to push for a resolution. And that is yeah. that is how disenfranchised we are. So when we talk mm -hmm. about we are living in a, a democratic state, uh, and this is where why few uh, uh, weeks ago and Eliana, you were with me. Uh, uh, I had to do my one-man uh, protest as a symbolic protest against the lack of dissent within mm -hmm. parliament, the lack of dissent differing views within British uh, politics on this uh, China question when they are full of lies, but yeah. nobody, uh, no media will pick it up. Where is the left? That's what I'm really disappointed about is um, I think over the last few years and, you know, 2015 and Brexit and Trump and that kind of thing, a lot of people would talk about echo chambers and polarization and, oh, everybody has such different opinions and we need to meet in the middle. And I think, you know what, the left and the right, in terms of their opinions on foreign policy, are exactly the same. There has no, there has the, the in, in 2003, every, the left was all against the Iraq war in 2003. People were protesting. I forgot, was it a million people on the streets or something, yeah, like, that. something like that? And the anti-war left has completely disappeared. Oh I yes, do, and yeah. in, fact, in fact, they are competing. They are mm -hmm. competing with each Should other on the, to be on the American like, yeah. agenda mm -hmm. to, to focus on an enemy. And the reason yeah. why they need, mm -hmm. for me, my own analysis is mm -hmm. why, why the left and the liberals mm -hmm. are focusing on uh, China to mm -hmm. bash China on human rights mm -hmm. is because it makes them feel good. Yeah. They realize that there is a problem mm -hmm. with the essence of democracy, mm -hmm. the essence of this representation for the people, of the people. America is the greatest disaster. Mm -hmm. so, so their narrative of what democracy should be is not delivering. Even Biden uh, at G7 say, oh, uh, as a liberal uh, our liberal values must show that it can benefit the people. It means that it has not. Right. And because of that, to make them feel good, they will uh, uh, start promoting the, oh, we are bashing those states which are mm -hmm. undemocratic mm -hmm. to feel that they are doing something mm -hmm. uh, for, this, uh, for this mission. What democracy is, how is it reflected in Western society, let alone in China or the rest of the world? I mean, look at the look at COVID nineteen. Look at the corruption that is going on with the disbursement. How many millionaires have been created under our very nose and scrutiny in Britain itself? I mean, it's a disgrace. It is a disgrace, and I think one thing that really disturbed me just lately was the British gas strike. You know that happened a few oh, months yes. ago, and it just there was no 
coverage of it at all. And the only reason I even know about it was, I mean, I I did watch it on Novara Media, which is an Mm -hmm. independent news source here. And I talked to one of the gas (laughs) engineers about it. Like, Mm -hmm. that's the only reason, you know, those two sources, complete blackout. And and he was just, when I was talking to this um, British gas engineer, he was just quite heartbroken at mm-hmm. the idea that they fought, they striked, n- mm-hmm. nobody, everybody ignored them. Mm-hmm. And they, their contract has been, um, British Gas basically got their own their own way and their contract has been rolled back. Even though they worked through COVID, they worked through the pandemic, they, they risked their lives, et cetera. And to have their contract rolled back and for us to not care at all about our own workers, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know how um, something like that, which is like, that's very British. Like, okay, so if you're, you're thinking that someone in the UK who's maybe never been abroad, I don't know, right? They, they're going to care about their own selves. Like that is the quintessential British problem. Mm-hmm. And that can't even get any traction. So, mm-hmm. No, yeah. no, and, and, and that is interesting because, I mean, you still have, organized, you still have unions which are big. And yet, when do you hear the unions able to flex their muscles about the, uh, this thing about NHS nurses who gets a pay rise of three pounds a month? Oh and, yes, and, and that is despite all the COVID-19 praising, the clapping and the so clapping, on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And this is more cynical of the system where you clap. I cannot wait to go to, uh, is Marks and Spencer still open? I cannot wait to go to Marks and Spencer's (laughs) or um, Selfridges or something like that and pick up uh, a nice uh, nice shirt and then take it to the counter. And then when they ask me for payment, start (laughs) (laughs) clapping. I'm glad we can play, we, I mean, Forget Bitcoin. We can we can pay in claps these days. It sounds amazing, you know. Yeah, I'm so glad that we can now all pay each other in claps. Yeah, so glad. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, so no, seriously, there is a problem with democracy in the West. Mm-hmm. Yes. There is a problem, and they are. They should invade they are spending themselves. All their energy to say we champion democracy abroad. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, Biden is having a problem with the dysfunctional democracy mm-hmm. in United States itself. Mm-hmm. Sure. 